You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd. It is our 50th episode, hence the, the, the really poor attempt at noise making. There you go. Jesus. That, that was, uh, if you could see the table right now, it's... Um, oh, Sorry, that was supposed that was to be applause. That works, though. Episode 50, here we are, uh, joined by Nick. Hello. Jason. Hey. And our special guest, the founder of Farmfield Table in Ferndale, Matt Romai. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going. How are you? Awesome. Nick is about to pop open a bottle of champagne, I believe. Some champs. Champagne from Eli. Eli of Birmingham. 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 Yeah. So this is true champagne. This is true champagne. There it is. Remember, when you open champagne, it's not supposed to pop. It's supposed to sigh like a well-pleasured woman. <laughs> and I'm totally serious. That's what the rule is. That popped though. There's a little. There's a little too much pop. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Um, so this is uh, Grand Cru Champagne, uh, 100% Chardonnay, um, and then it says this Cuvée de. Uh, I wrote down the pronunciation. I should have done it. Codulet. Um, Codulet is the measurement for how long the the taste stays in your mouth, and this Ooh, is like wow. a 94, whatever 94 equals. 94 minutes? I thought it was time, but That's Eli amazing. said it wasn't. <laughs> Eli said it wasn't time. He said it was something else. Oh, okay. But yeah, thank you so much, Eli. We're going to get you on the podcast soon because you are a wealth of knowledge and you help like all of Metro Detroit find delicious, whiny things. Uh, also in the house, we have uh, a bottle of Henry McKenna, uh, 10 year. Uh, and then we have some charcuterie from Farmfield Table. Uh, Matt, what'd you bring with you? Uh, well, in the shop, we don't have a lot of cooking equipment, so okay. uh, kind of gathering around things that were relatively easy for me to heat up. But uh, so, so on one plate, basically, we have uh, country pate, uh, whole grain mustard, and some beautiful bagels from our uh, wholesale manager, Jeff. <laughs> and then another plate, we have some kick-ass handmade hot dogs. Um, and some smoked lamb merguez. So, uh, all these things are available, um, at farm field table. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, typically, typically we do, uh, a smoked merguez and an unsmoked version. Also just want to say thanks to heaven Hill for the Henry McKenna that, uh, came from the bonded state bonded competition last night at the Buell bar. Oh yeah. Congratulations, so, uh, Roger. Roger yeah. from the Peterborough. Big win. Mark, came, Mark Cooney came in second. Um, 
So they were kind enough to bless me with that bottle Mark's, Mark's for taking a couple right? pictures. Yep. Yep. So here it is. Awesome. Yeah. And then I brought with me a bottle of Mezcal for my okay. recent, recent trip to Mexico. The bottle I brought with me is the House Mezcal at a place called La Damawana. Damawana. D-A-M-A-J-U-A-N-A. Is this why you can't hear out of your left, left ear? <laughs> the Mezcal? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This this whole not not being this uh, left ear damage, whatever the hell, came back. I brought back from Mexico with me along with the Mezcal. Hmm. It's not not fun. Did you swim? I did. And oh. it, it might be that. Who knows? I don't go in water. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> you just avoid it. Avoid it. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Happy 50th. Cheers. 50th. Yeah. We survived. We haven't got canceled yet. Won't we cancel ourselves? As long as the checks don't bounce. That's true. <laughs> That's good. That's true. Yum, yum. Thanks, Eli. Good thing for Ripple. All right. So th- this uh, Mezcal was the only Mezcaleria in Cabo. Searched it out. Uh, small family-owned place. Um, son-in-law. Uh mother mother father so um the uh the the mother is a artist who also infuses mezcal so she takes this mezcal as as her base and puts different infusions in them and sells those out of the shop as well such as um one was uh cherry one was chili one was uh mango uh ginger there was a uh, one called the uh the taste of the earth, which was like almonds and uh, different nuts and a couple of spices. Did you try any of them? I tried them all. And? Um, I didn't like any of them, to be honest with you. <laughs> I really like this base. The The infusion didn't do anything for me. Um, Just the, confusion. Yeah, infusion, it, it, confusion. Yeah. It, uh, um, the, the, <laughs> the two cocktails they had, they made with this with this mezcal was, were very good. Okay. One was mixed berry. One was like a um, ginger type of thing. Um and the other mezcals I had in house were awesome. Um, brought a few bottles back as well. But um, when you say in house, like other upper, other proprietors, like that weren't theirs. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, um, really fun place. Um, great, great owners. Uh, and overall, uh, you know, let's talk about Cabo for a second. We, we stayed in a place that was um, like a timeshare, mm-hmm. but they're not called timeshares anymore. It's called fractional ownership. <laughs> and, and we we got. Um, uh, brought into a meeting for uh, like two hours out of the day and basically got accosted for two hours and made to feel terrible that we didn't want to fractionally own a property. So how much did you pay bizarre. for your ownership? We didn't, we didn't pay. We walked out. But you know, if you sign anything, no, didn't sign a damn thing. Yep. Got shamed at the end though. The, I bet the, you did. The, 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 the closer, the guy that comes in and says rock bottom prices were like, I said to him, my literal words, I would not take this if it was free. Walked away from us and said out loud, uh, "You're right. They're they're, they're impossible to work with." <laughs> wow. Right in front of us. So yeah, that was. But Mexico was fantastic, though. Uh, I guess in Cabo it only rains ten days a year. It didn't rain any of the ten days we were or the five days we were there. Okay. So our luck was good. Um, good alcohol. Restaurants were good. On uh, your on your stolen timeshare. Stolen timeshare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get some free tickets out of the deal or something. Oh yeah, they, they uh like three three free massages and uh and like a bunch of dining credit. Nice. Um, so I think they just wanted to re- recoup their money on that end, but uh, it wasn't on, well, not on my shoulders. <laughs> no, no, it's worth the two hours of accosting, though. Uh, yeah, to, to, for the most part, but not not the. Uh, I mean, they, they were really upset that we wouldn't drop a I think it was like fifty nine thousand dollars. 
As Jeez. a salesman, I apologize to whatever salesman you're working with. <laughs> the poor guy you wasted his whole <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> We're not talking right now. No, sorry. I apologize. To be fair, though, it, like I'm in that situation sometimes. I would have just said right in the beginning, you've got no chance. They probably could have <laughs> saved themselves the two hours. <laughs> Therefore, they have to go through the pitch, right? I mean, could have said, like, listen, man, this isn't going to happen. Oh, I, I kind of did. when The first thing we sat down, and he's like, you know, for at breakfast. And I said, why is the food in these places always suck? He said, all inclusive, the food's always terrible. And he said, no one's ever said that before. And I said, I highly doubt that no one's ever told you your food is shit. And, <laughs> and that's how, that's how we started. <laughs> nice. I mean, honestly, like if you've ever been to an all inclusive, like the food isn't good. It's for shoveling mass amounts of food into your, into your open mouth. You're not tasting anything. The booze isn't great. Everything's extra. If you want good booze, you know, uh, they did have a Glenfiddich, uh, 21 year hmm. for 30, 30 bucks a shot, which isn't bad when I looked at prices. But aside from that, it's not bad. That's price wise. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. Good, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was Mexico. I'd go back, maybe not to Cabo, but you know, somewhere around there. I've only been to Cancun. I would not go back. <laughs> <laughs> not a spring break though. No, I don't, <laughs> nah, I don't think. Well, we stayed like right downtown. There was the, I can't remember. Maybe it was the Oasis or something. There was one of those, resorts that some other people stayed at that i went with and uh we did sneak into one one day but it was great because you had to have a wristband and for a whole day and a half i just walked in like i just put a towel over my arm so like you know because you're just like everybody's walking around the pool and everybody's got towels so just walking around the whole time in the house but they finally found out uh, it was great because eating drinking in the pool i had to still be careful though just kind of hanging out with my arm in the pool but um but no we stayed like right downtown so it was very loud and dirty can imagine. I also got the swine flu. What happened in Mexico? <laughs> That's pretty bad. I lose my hearing. Jason gets swine flu. Yeah. Cool. I'm lucky to be alive. I've never been to Mexico, so. Go. Yeah. It's great. We were going to go to, um, oh, south of San Diego. We were going to go to. Tijuana. Thank you. Yeah. And um, like everyone talked us out of it. They're just like, why? I was just like, oh, we can get some cool mezcal. They're like, all the same mezcal sold here. And I was just like, oh, but the fun. They're like, no, it's not fun. You're going to stand in lines the whole time. And I'm like, but we, you know, we can like rent a car. They're like, don't rent a car. And I'm just like, all right, fine, I won't go. Mm. It just, they just sucked all the fun out of it. That so. sucks. It was, it was sucky. I was, we were so excited. Like my wife and I were just like jazz. And then we get there and just like every adult talks us out of it. So stupid adults. Right. Ugh. All right. Matt. Like a high risk, low reward Let's talk. situation. <laughs> Let's talk farm field table for sure. Quit hogging all the pate. Sorry. Um, okay. So you're a butcher, right? So where do the animals come from? So <clears throat> everything that we sell in the shop uh, strictly comes from small farms in the state of Michigan. Um, and additionally, we only buy whole animals because that's what we feel is good for the farmer. So you'll never find a, any, any box beef in our shop. So when you say – so you, you bring in a whole animal, mm-hmm. does that include um, the, 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 the organs as well? Uh, some of them. So typically we get uh, hearts, kidneys, livers, and tongues. Blood? No blood. We we do get that question a lot, and I, I've asked the slaughterhouses to save some of that for us, but really they don't want to go through the the process with the USDA. Sure. Because there's not a ton of – so when you make black pudding, is that pig? No, it's beef. Oh, it is beef. beef okay, was, so yep. that's what you want. All right. Yeah, and it's – um. 
especially during the holidays, incredibly difficult to get a hold of. Yeah. Um, I think I, in fact, I asked you guys if you had some, mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, even, even afterwards, even now, um, the price increase is upwards of like three to 400%. Wow. So um, tell me, so how do you buy, do you buy it by the pint? Do you buy, buy the by gallon? gallon? Yeah. Okay. So, so what's so, a gallon of beef blood? Uh, for? last time I checked, we were paying upwards of 60, I think it was 60 or $70. It's a, a lot of money. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. I mean, you, you could you be probably, rolling in blood money. Yeah, man. That, that's like, that's probably like three, $400 per animal. That's huge. Yeah. It was, um, I guess it's just regulation that is just driving that cost then. Yeah. I mean, well, we deal with a lot of bureaucratic bullshit, sure. to be honest. Um, and in the, like in the process of going through slaughter to, to bring the animals in, uh, we're often working with very, very small slaughterhouses. And so as if these people aren't already struggling enough to make it, now we ask them to, you know, add in additional steps into their HACCP plan and buy additional – basically there's there's like additives and things to keep it from coagulating and they have to strain it and separate, separate it out. So there's tools and costs and regulations involved and they just don't want to do it. So when you um – so the the difference between a butcher and a slaughter. So the slaughterhouse strictly slaughters the animal. They bring in a live animal, kill it, right? Right. Um, yep. Slaughter it, I guess, <laughs> and uh, and then pass it along. Or can can they butcher at that point as well? A lot of times they butcher it at that point, but they truly butcher it. I mean, it's it's often pretty hacked up, and that's part of the reason why why we decided that we had to do this because. Um, on one side, you might have a farmer that, say, uh, Sugarbush Cattle Company in Allen, Michigan. They they raise uh, Wagyu beef for us. Um, so this animal might cost us $5,000, right? And that animal and a cull cow from a you know full GMO industrial dairy farm, which is worth 70 cents a pound – they get treated the same exact way. So there's there's not a lot of respect for what the specific animal is, uh, the value of that animal. And, you know, nobody nobody is a kid and they're like, yeah, I can't wait to be a slaughterman one day. You know, it's not a job that people want to do. Um, so I don't think that there's often a lot of care behind it. Mm. All cows matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. Well, Boom. <laughs> well so – I guess the next question then is because I've heard um, in dealing with some farmers and uh, and then going to Pigstock, it used to be an event up in Traverse City. Mm -hmm. That um, you soon is it done? Yeah, oh. they haven't they haven't run it the last year or two. Yeah. Um, and uh, the way the animal is slaughtered affects the quality of the meat, correct? Yeah, in a huge way. Uh, so basically. It really comes down to to stress, and the the effect is caused by a pH change. So, essentially, what was her name? What's that? What was her name? the uh, The person that went through and like helped the animals. Um, yeah, uh, Temple Grand. Temple, thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah, I actually I actually saw her speak at a conference really? two weeks ago. Oh, fun! Yeah, she she was one of the best speakers that I've ever seen. She was so animated. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Oh, cool! She's got a crazy story. The, the the movie I saw wasn't was really cool. I'm trying. It was like her story. Yeah, it was I, dramatized. I never I never seen the the movie, but she she was hilarious. Like cool. she was like straight up screaming at people from the stage. Like it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, but the anyways, it really comes down to the the pH in the meat, and so like when they're when they're stressed, um, 
the the normal processes of like going through rigor and changing um it's uh what's a what's that what's the word it's the energy store in the in the muscles and basically after after the animal dies then that uh it's glycogen glycogen converts into lactic acid and when the ph is thrown off it it changes the meat's ability to bind water is really what it comes down to and so uh you get a product that is guaranteed to be uh tough and dry and it doesn't matter to the quality of uh so wagyu versus commodity right mm-hmm. like if it's slaughtered in a in a very haphazard way the wagyu could right. will taste better but won't taste as good as it could right exactly it'll just be it'll it'll be dry i've se- i've actually seen this before you know when when you see the when you see enough uh hanging carcasses like you can you can almost tell the story of that animal just by looking at it by the color of it by the uh, the texture of it um and really, when you when you cut something like that in pork, they call it PSE, uh, pale soft exudative. Um, and when you cut it, you can actually see the moisture seeping out of it. It's wow. it's kind of crazy. Wow. Uh, so then, when when you make the distinction between like a wagyu and and then the the seventy cent, you're talking about heritage, a heritage breed versus a commodity, right? Right. So, can you kind of explain the distinction? like what makes a what makes commodity grade beef so uh, the reality is that uh, the genetics could be almost the same uh, what it comes down to is feed like what specifically they're eating uh, like some, corn versus grass kind of thing yeah yeah and how long they're on feed uh, the age at which they're slaughtered um, those those the amount of exercise they get uh, those things are the the biggest components, um, and also like growth growth hormones. Um, you know, they they put like steroids and things in in the feed to just help them grow faster. So, in the conventional practice, basically, it comes down to how do we make the most amount of money off these animals. Uh, so, it's race them as fast as possible, um, slaughter at them at the right point. Uh, so, there's something called feed conversion rate. And it's the amount that's the amount of feed that it takes to produce one pound of of lean in an animal. And so when the when the animal is young, it's converting feed very quickly and putting on a lot of uh, mass. Um, and this is true for every animal. At some point, that that slows, and that is the point that conventional animals are slaughtered. The problem with that, especially in pork, is that while they're growing very quickly, uh, they're not they're not producing any sort of excess fat so that they're not marbling well uh, in our operation specifically we want we want a good amount of this beautiful back fat and that just doesn't occur until after the the feed conversion rate slows um, so conventional type animals are always very young and where if you want to you know convert that to what what is the flavor difference um the reality is that when when animals are are growing up and when they're eating, uh, whatever they're eating, they're always storing flavor molecules in the fat. And so, the older the animal is, the the stronger the flavor is going to be. Now, of course, there's a there's a point at which that becomes bad. You know, lamb becomes mutton; it becomes very strong. Um, but those those flavor molecules never go away. So, when you think of like um, 
uh, what is the the pork or uh, the pigs that only eat acorns? In, uh, like Iberico? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, so you're saying like kind of what they eat is kind of like getting it, stored. It becomes in their part fat. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> like uh, in our in our shop, uh, grass fed and grain finished beef is like the our standard. Uh, the grain grain finished beef always marbles better, um, but a lot of Americans don't particularly love the taste of grass finished beef. Hmm. I mean, it can it can tend to be very strong, uh, like irony, kind of livery tasting sometimes. Gamey, if you will. Gamey, very yep. gamey. Yep. Uh, and part of that convention that we were at, uh, we actually did a uh, a taste of beef, and so we we did an actual tasting of like 21 different samples all all new york strip steaks but in all sorts of various forms like grass finished grain finished wet age dry age um different levels of aging um and at the same time they they had a actual breakdown of consumer preferences um and grass finished beef was always on the bottom of that list wow and you know it was on top wagyu every every time Story, really? all story then. Well, no, these were blind taste tests. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And at, what I what I found to be interesting about that conference specifically is that this was this was a conference for like big industrial producers, right? So you got representatives from like Tyson and like JBS Swift, that type of stuff. And in the in the beef taste test, an Two more things that consistently taste better than everything else: um, Holstein beef, so dairy dairy cows, uh, which goes against what most every meat man will tell you, and also naturally fed animals, always outrated conventional. And the reason being that they grow slower. Mm-hmm. So, so conventionally fed animals are fed how? Uh, so a lot of times, especially in the in the beef world, uh, they would come from like what they call CAFOs, con- concentrated animal feeding operations. And it's very funny that you mentioned uh, getting swine flu in Mexico mm. um, because it actually wasn't that funny. Okay, okay. The first case of MRSA that ever occurred outside of a hospital. Uh, happened in a pig farm, an in, industrial pig farm in Mexico. Mm. Kind of interesting. And terrifying. And terrifying. It was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely a thing. When terrifying. I was down there, I mean, it was like they're flashing on the on the, on the the news and it's like they've got these like uh, pig icons like on the map and it's like there's this outbreak that's going on. While I was, no, it was a serious thing. Yeah, it was going on down there, and I was like, "Man, what a what a shitty time to go to Cancun." <laughs> like literally shitty. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was more like uh, it was more like uh, I couldn't imagine how much like mucus was like in my head and like coming out of my this head. This is definitely gonna be a graphic episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you asked. Talking the mucus. You wanted to know. I mean, <laughs> I would also like to apologize ahead of time. I think my cups were either very cheap. Or your mezcal is incredibly aggressive because they are decomposing <laughs> yeah. as we drink. Yeah, this. I know. I, I noticed that. That's why I dealt, you doubled, doubled up. up here. <laughs> um, like Joe's earbud decomposing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so uh, the success of Farmfield Table. Um, there was an article recently in Cranes. Mm-hmm. You guys are tripling your 
size this year? Tripling our size. Yep. We, um, we just recently purchased a 2,500 square foot, uh, dry aging room. So, uh, we built it specifically to hold, um, 80 to hundred steers at a time, mm-hmm. about 80 to hundred thousand pounds, give or take. So it's pretty, pretty substantial. <laughs> How many steers do you have in house at any given time right now? Um, at kind of our, our, our going numbers are, we buy, we buy about 20 lambs a week. Okay. We buy anywhere between six and 10 hogs a week, depending, you know, what's going on. And we buy at least one full Wagyu steer a week and we buy, uh, four, to five uh, grain finished steers a week. What percentage of your business is to restaurants versus uh, walk-in consumer? This was actually really shocking to me when we opened. I thought that I thought that ninety percent of our business would happen in the wholesale channel. Yeah, and really, it turns out that about sixty-five percent of our business is walk-in retail, and thirty-five probably is wholesale. Sixty-five percent of your business is walk-in. Yeah, it's amazing. Because you guys supply a lot of restaurants locally, don't you? Yeah. I, well, if you if you Googled best Detroit restaurants, we work with almost all of them. Um, really? So yeah. So we have. I think last I looked, we we had probably, you know, eighty eighty accounts that that we work with. Generally, it doesn't mean that we we work with them every single week, but at some point in time, we've sold something to them. So we're 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 pretty well concentrated in in Detroit. Um, we have quite a number of uh, accounts out in Ann Arbor. We'll be out in Grand Rapids probably in the next couple of weeks, and we ship next day all the way up to Walloon Lake. So uh, we cover a good amount of the state. So with this growth um, and your kind of your mission to, to be local, um, does sustainability become an issue in terms of remaining as local as you? What is local, first of all, to you? Well, local to me, I mean, probably 200 miles or so. Okay. Um, but of course, from Detroit, that includes Indiana, um, Ohio. Yep. Most of the lower peninsula, almost. Most of not it. quite Traverse City, probably right. So, so for us, uh, we want we want to stay in Michigan first and foremost. So, if we got an option of a farm in Indiana that's 195 miles away, uh, and then we got an option of a different farm in Michigan that's 206 miles away, we're going to stay in Michigan uh, because part of the drive for us is is just economic. You know, there's of course like environmental sustainability. So we don't want to drive all over the place in this big truck, you know, getting six miles to the gallon, but um, the economic impact is a big thing for us. And so is there a certain point where you, do you like see this drying up at all? Uh, Yeah, it's actually, it's actually very tough to buy the amount of animals that we want in the, with the quality restrictions that we have, you know, we, we never buy anything that has GMO feed um, or hormones or any sort of growth enhancing substance. Um, we buy animals that are specifically pastured, um, at least, uh, you know, for the great majority of their lives. Uh, and that, that becomes very hard because the people who are growing these types of animals typically 
are really crafty. They typically only have a few at a time and they're typically very attached, which means that the animals become very expensive. Um, so like the, you, we're, we're kind of known for pork these days, right? Uh, so we raise mangalites and mule foot hogs across between those two um, for, for the restaurant, for the mule foot gastropub. If you go out and buy a pure mangalitsa from somebody, uh, typically you'll pay $5 or more per pound hanging weight. And so by the time you trim it, by the time you lose all the fat, by the time you lose bones or whatever, the, the actual cost of it is probably, you know, 10 to $12 a pound. And, and as that's you know, broken down or that's not broken down. Yeah, that's broken okay, down. Okay. And so as you know, that's way more than market price sure. on pork. But for, for us, I mean, we raise it so we can, we can sell it in the store for typically less than that. So, so let's okay. go back for a second. You, you raise animals too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let, let's talk about that. So th- this is a, this is another level because you're raising the animals that you're then sending to a slaughterhouse and then right. you only raise pigs? Uh, we, we raise mostly pigs. Okay. Uh, my dad, my dad raises them for us in a farm just north of Emily City. Uh, we we raise a few chickens. You know, obviously we're not doing this for food, but we have a couple ponies and a horse for yet my, for my twin. <laughs> you know, I, I had I had horse tartare in Italy, and it was it was great. It's funny because right, that's an interesting thing to talk about because it's kind of like every country but ours, right? Yeah. I, well, I I don't know about everyone, but there's def- it's definitely not weird. It's not a weird thing to do in Italy. Hmm. Yeah, I've never had. I've never had it. I've also never been to one of those countries. So, I thought it was great. Canada is one of those countries. Does Canada have horse? Yeah, you can go to Montreal and have horse. Hmm. We were talking about this a few weeks ago. I wouldn't be against bringing it in, but I I don't know how the city of Ferndale or Pleasant Ridge would react to me. (laughs) Is there so? Is there a rule right now? Can you? No, it's uh, it's purely just customer preference. No, it was illegal until a few years ago, Hmm. Um, but it's it's legal now. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I know uh, in Peruvian, Peruvian restaurants, they serve guinea pig, Cuyo. I mean, squirrel. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I've seen squirrel. I've seen uh, squab, which is fancy pigeon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of like uh, roadkill-esque things. Yeah, I mean, in Mexico, it was insects are the big thing in Mexico. And well, was, and we went to the, the insect thing that was at, um, was Wednesday? that Wayne? Wednesday? Yeah. yeah, that was fun. Yeah. M Cantina in Dearborn had Junior had a uh, grasshopper tacos mm-hmm. yeah. about twelve uh, probably two weeks ago. Actually, one of the most amazing things I've ever eaten was um, grasshopper garum. Uh, I, I was a stagiaire at restaurant Noma, and at the end of our stage period, so, so Noma's like the greatest, the best restaurant in the world uh, consistently. Yeah, it, ha- it has been like f- four or five times, I think. And it's located Copenhagen, Denmark. Copenhagen. Yep. Yep, and so at the end of our stage was a mad symposium, which is basically a a group of the best chefs, uh, food scientists, reporters, all just gathering for three or four days about food. And at that time in 2012, uh, Noma was doing a lot of experimenting with with different bugs. Uh, And so I think it was Lars from the – from the food lab did a presentation about about the bugs and he handed out paper bags uh there was like bee larva there was a certain type of tropical ant uh those those were living that was kind of weird but they tasted great but do you like pull off the head or anything or no just get after it, okay. it he so he dumped out 
uh, container of these ants in his hand when he started speaking. And the whole time he was speaking, he was just like picking crawling ants off of his body and just munching on them. No way. Yeah. But the grasshopper garum, uh, that was the absolutely the most flavor dense of anything that I've, I've ever had. It was amazing. Wow. wow. Hmm. What a visual. That would have been an amazing photo. Just like. Yeah. Me, yeah. Standing up there eating bugs off his body. Yeah. The bugs moving around in my mouth when I'm eating. I, I don't know about that. Yeah. It's a little, it's a stretch for me too. I have no problem eating insects, but if they were alive, I might have a little bit more of an issue with it. Yeah. Even when we were in Tokyo, we didn't see a spot that had the live, um, like octopus. Oh yeah. And, um, I don't know if I would have done it either. They definitely, they, strange. they pulled a fish out of a fish tank and like butchered it in front of me. That was wild. Wow. There's a, um, there's a Japanese type of fish butchery called Ikajime. Okay. I, I think that's what it's called. Uh, basically what they do is they like, they cut a, an artery in the, in the head and then they notch the tail and they use a wire to basically run it down the spinal column and it kills all the nerves. And uh, so supposedly what it does is it sends the, the blood from the flesh into the internal organs. And it also, it basically kills it immediately. Um, so it's supposed to make this like superiorly hmm. fresh tasting fish. And it, we used to do that for a while in, in our restaurant. We, there's a, a trout farm near the mule foot, like seven miles away and uh, every every day we used to bring in live fish swimming into the kitchen. Wow. So is that something you want to look at at Farm to Table? Um, it's something we talked about okay. uh, because – Is that a different – like are there different rules to like have fish and meat in the same space? There are actually no regulations. Okay. There There is no inspector for fish with the exception of catfish. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, because – Why catfish? I, I – I don't know. Because it's I, like a bottomish feeder kind of thing? It's probably. Mucky. Probably. Huh. Yeah, because uh, the health department in Lapeer County, they, they told us, you can't, you can't butcher these fish in here anymore. And so we, we quit doing it for a while. And, of course, we, we've been pissed about that ever since. Because so. they were live. Yeah. yeah. But they, if they came they in They said dead. these have to be inspected. Huh. Yeah. So that was one of my initial questions when I talked to the USDA about opening the shop down here. What are the rules about fish? And they're like, no rules. Go mm, for it. Somebody wanted some money. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, your father is a farmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Raises yeah. animals. Um, so was butchery something that kind of like was a natural kind of fit for you? Or was it something that you were just interested in? So we, when I say we, my, my twin brother and I, uh, we we grew up. Butchering things all the time. I mean, we we come How from a oh god. Pro, as soon as, as as soon as we were old enough to be trusted to hold a knife, uh, probably five. Whoa, way younger than I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I would not trust any five year old I know with a knife, especially and, your child, and not in the serial <laughs> killer way of like putting s squirrel heads on skewers no no <laughs> if that were the case we definitely wouldn't be talking about it so how, old, how old is your child four one more year you'd give him a knife well now they now i mean like you know uh because of like millennials and stuff they have like plastic knives that kids can not hurt themselves with i imagine you were using real yeah. knives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah 
Yeah, um, we, we used to have like I don't know, maybe it's kind of weird, but we, we used to have our friends over for these like deer butchering parties. Like the the older guys would skin them and kind of hand us pieces, and we would just they call it denuding, but take off silver skin. Basically, it'd be like ten kids sitting around a table until until one a.m. just like cutting meat. But you were used to it. That's all you knew. Yeah, it was you, cool. You thought it was no big deal. Whereas Nick Britsky City Slicker, you know, <laughs> I, I think I saw my first like pig butchery uh, like two years ago. Yeah, ex- exactly. Actually, uh, my twin brother has a, a 10-year-old daughter now. Damn. Uh, she she was probably five maybe uh, when she saw her first animal actually get slaughtered. Okay. And so she, uh, we were, we were slaughtering one of the two of the pigs on the farm and she, she spends a lot of time with the farm animals, you know, taking care of them, feeding them, whatever. And so she was out there naturally with us. And so my brother told her, you got to go in the house, you know, you don't want to see this. And she was like, no, I want, I want to stay. I want to see what you're going to do. And so he kind of got down on her level and told her, you know, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be blood. It's not going to be fun. And she was like, no, I want to see it. And so he said, all right, here we go. And, and and it, it didn't bother her at all. Like it was not, it wasn't weird for her to, to watch that happen. It was just normal. And I think most people don't understand your meat came from a living thing. Like it, there's that the grocery store is that antiseptic white, you know, package mm-hmm. thing that's a drumstick. There are no heads. There's there no, are no yeah. eyes. And, and when you see, see a head that. in a restaurant, you're like, oh, my God, it's a whole fish. Yeah. People people tweak out about that. Um, Prime and proper. Do you see they had the duck head on one of their ads this week? They have oh, the whole. Uh, they have the whole. It's like yep. seven day uh, uh-huh. uh, dry aged duck or something. I was surprised the they did that. But I mean, presentation. I'm proud of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you know, I Flowers that. of Vietnam has been doing the. Whole fish yep, yep. as well, the fish head. And, um, yeah, the duck threw me off a little bit, you know. But that's, I mean, for me, coming from a long line of drunken hillbillies, meat and potatoes, I, <laughs> that that would that threw that would throw me off. And I, but like, I'm trying to get to the point where it doesn't, you know. But like, it sure does. I, it would, it would, well, yeah. I'd like to try the mezcal too. Um, Thank you. Talking so part of education, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was just trying to. We're passing, where, we're passing bottles woo. around. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm trying to. There's all these uh, shows on uh, on uh, Netflix and you know the chef's table and all these different things. So I'm definitely trying to embrace it, but I have not been to Prime Proper yet. And when the first time I go, I'm probably not going to try the duck. But I'm you know trying to get over that. Same thing with like if somebody said horse, like there's no rational reason to not want to try it to give it a try we eat all these other things mm-hmm. right and so like it's just something in your head and ultimately no matter what species uh literally m- muscles are exactly the same so like the the, the thing that de- determines the flavor of an animal is what it eats uh its manner of digestion and how old it is and so like it's it's really the the same so if i've eaten all sorts of weird stuff uh, especially coming from the country and coming from this kind of chef mentality. All right, it's give like, me the weirdest. You I'll, can't just put that out there. The, yeah. the weirdest thing yep. that I ever ate, and it it was probably also the worst. Uh, my, our dog caught a possum. Oh, okay. And 
Uh, yeah, our dog. The end. <laughs> <laughs> our dog caught a possum, and uh, I, I was like foraging mushrooms or okay. something. So I had a knife in my hand, and the dog brought the possum, which was just playing dead. It it, it didn't hurt it. Okay. The dog didn't hurt it, and it just dropped it at my feet. And so I was like, "Well, knife, possum," and I just I just killed it sure. and and took it home and uh we we brazed it so hold on what did your parents say because I, I think they're pretty used to it at this, <laughs> okay. this point i mean if as long as it's not like rotten or destroyed by a car or something like that i'll try it okay why not so you can't eat roadkill uh you it depends <laughs> if you hit it just right it's fine well, wait when you say can't like legally can't no i'm saying or like he like, said not destroyed by a car so i'm like you can't eat roadkill well, yeah well, I but, mean, get the rabbits in the head and it's fine. It's fair game. We, we really got to put a warning in front of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All Sorry, right. So you bring I, it home. Bring it home. Yeah. Uh, we, we braised it with something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but this thing smelled horrible. Even in its raw form, it smelled so bad. But I, I already took the time to skin it and, you know, yep. eviscerate it, whatever. So I'm like, well, we'll, we'll let it ride. And was this like a... All right, again, forgive me, City Slicker. A wild possum, or was it like a? Oh yeah, did yeah, it feed it was, off trash kind of thing? No, it was wild. Okay, I it still could have fed off trash. I don't know. We had a possum what, in our backyard, like a, like a farm, like a yeah, what? A wild farm versus what no, domesticated saying, possum? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so he just spent ten minutes talking about like you know the the animals are what they eat. And if it's sitting there eating my garbage, it's going to taste a lot different than, you know, a free-range possum. Was the garbage organic? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't have any idea what that thing ate, but it was in the middle of, it was in the, middle of the woods. I, I think it's probably fair. Fair game. So taste was what? Uh, it's, it was stinky. Stinky. It was stinky. Oh. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do it again. Raccoon is good. I've heard that there's a guy down in Detroit that sells uh, sells coon off the uh, off the interstate, right? Yeah, there's a sign. I haven't seen it in a minute, but it was going around a couple years ago. There's a story about him. Metro Times had an article or something like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean, he boils it in vinegar or something, and yeah, you know, like I would try it, but it's not one of those things I'm going to search out. No, Um, I would I would try possum too. Even um, even rabbit for people is is weird. Sure, rabbit's good. Rabbit's, rabbit's great. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the most healthy things you could eat too. There's a thing called rabbit starvation because rabbit is so lean that if you only ate rabbit and nothing else, you would actually get sick because there's not enough fat in it. Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah, we we sell a decent amount of rabbit, but I think probably about. 25% of people and chefs are like, sweet rabbit. Yeah, I'll have it. And probably 75% are like, no, no way. So, so when you have these kind of – when you have rabbit in in the shop or uh, maybe maybe an off cut of something, not, not like a – you know, something like a ribeye. You have something mm-hmm. that's a little bit more um, – takes a little bit more know-how. Do, do, do you guys tell people what to do with these mm-hmm. cuts or what – what they're buying? Yeah, for sure. I, that's actually like our whole entire business is built on that idea. And because, I mean, you, the normal consumer, I mean, they're only buying a handful of things. They're buying some sort of steak cut, which is, you know, just ribeye strip tenderloin. 
they're buying ground beef mm-hmm. or maybe once in a while they'll buy some type of roast that they know about, chuck roast. But and to be fair, you know, there's a lot like things have different names. Um, yeah. You know, you don't see a lot of the cuts in the grocery store. I feel like when I was first getting into cooking, it's very intimidating to mm-hmm. look at all these different cuts and be like, what the crap do I do with all these things? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and like you said, things have different names. Some some things have three, four, five right, names right. for the same exact thing. Um, but yeah, we... We spend a lot of time just talking to people about how to prepare each thing. Um, like Chuck's, Chuck's, for example, we have become absolute pros at selling Chuck's. And so there, there's like something like nine different muscles inside of the Chuck. So the Chuck is the front, front arm of, of the beef, right? Um, there's something like nine muscles in there that are exceptionally good. Uh, Terrace Major, Flatiron, uh, Denver Steaks come out of the chuck. Uh, the end of the chuck eye that's closest to the ribeye is literally the exact same muscles as a ribeye. And it eats just like a ribeye. Um, and it's half of the price. But so you've you, now mentioned all these cuts. How many of these do you see in a decent grocery store? Uh, v- pretty rarely. Yeah. I mean, you see Flatirons around. Occasionally. Um, but, they're expensive. Yeah, expensive yeah, they're expensive. Yeah. Um, so you see those around. You see terrace majors pretty regularly on restaurant menus. Sure. Yep. 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 Um, but I don't know that I've ever seen it in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think you find too much outside of those ordinary cuts in a store. And is that because the restaurants like take it all? Or is it that, because if you put it in a grocery store, people will be like, I don't know the hell that is. I don't want it. I think it's more likely the second of those two. It, it, that could definitely be the case uh, for hanger steaks. Yep, I was thinking hanger steak. Yeah. Um, for, for terrace majors. Mm-hmm. So something that's really important for us, and this is both on the chef side of things and also on the retail customer side of things, uh, a lot of people don't understand what exactly comes from one cow. Uh, so – a hanger steak. There's literally only one per cow. So I have to buy 800 to 1,000 pounds of beef to give you literally one pound of hanger steak. In comparison, like a, like a T-bone or like something common. Like so ribeye, yeah. uh, total, total weight uh, on a steer, probably 25 to 30 pounds. Uh, strips, same thing. Uh, or T-bone porterhouse, probably... 50 or 60 pounds of those when you add in the weight of the bones. Um, yeah. One pound of hanger steak, two, maybe two and a half pounds of Terrace major. They're, they're tiny and there's two, you know, so that the actual uh, quantity of things available from one animal is, I think probably 99% of people don't know. Yeah. I got laughed at every time I want to get a hanger steak. They're just like, no, not happening. No, sorry. <laughs> Our uh, wholesale sales manager, Jeff, he actually goes out and tells people that they're purchasing irresponsibly when they have a case of hanger steaks because you don't realize how, like, waste. if you got a 40 pound case, literally 38 to 40,000 pounds of beef was slaughtered to buy that box of meat. It's crazy. When you when you go to Kroger and you see a I probably shouldn't call out specific people. When you go to your local grocery store and uh and and you see a mountain of beef tenderloin, there's only two. There's only two tenderloins per animal. It 
this stuff is not never ending. And, and this is the thing that really pisses me off about it is that every time, every time you buy on the wholesale level, you buy ground beef for, mm-hmm. you know, the wholesaler to wholesaler price is like a dollar 90 a pound. Every time you buy your $2 uh, ground beef. Is that ground, the, pre-ground on, or ground? Pre-ground. Okay. And the restaurant level, you're putting a farmer out of business because you can't even raise an animal for that oh, lunch. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. You can't. It's it's amazing to me, and so that's basically what we go we go out to preach the the gospel of the farmer, and so so we say, hey, Mister, you know, top twenty five restaurant chef, this keeps a farmer in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's four fifty a pound or whatever. This is keeping a farmer in business, and so for for literally fifty cents more, you can make sure that you know there are still farmers in America. But if you really want to save your 50 cents, I mean, you can ensure that the top five meat companies in America that already produce 85% or 90% of the meat, they're going to produce 100% with questionable with questionable standards, questionable practices, questionable feeds. It doesn't make sense. Where Where is that meat coming from? The, like the, that 90%? Like. Well, is it coming from the United States or is it coming from South America, China? Like, wh- where is it coming from? This is an interesting uh, scenario as well. Uh, I think a lot of it is raised here. So in some way you can say it comes from America. But uh, the largest pork producer is owned by a Chinese company. The largest beef producer is owned by a Brazilian company. And the largest organic feed producer in the world is India, I believe. Really, and so even though it may be an organic product that is raised in America, it's raised with feed from India. Wow, because cheap. It's just that's how the way the economics work. It's cheaper because aren't they processing like chickens, chickens in, in China? Yeah, yeah. Send whole birds from America all the way to China just to have them be processed and sent back here. How much what? sense does that make? Why enough? Apparently enough because it's American. Profitable. American labor is too expensive. But okay, but but your argument was just that if you spend a little bit more per pound mm-hmm. on, on that ground beef, you can keep a farmer in business, which kind of speaks against. So, are are we so ingrained with the saving of fifty cents per pound th- that the message of keeping someone local in business doesn't doesn't resonate more than that? I think so. Honestly, uh, especially especially on the restaurant side, I think the restaurant side drives a lot of this, um, and it's understandable. I mean, the restaurant is a hard game to be in. I mean, I I own one. I I know what it's like. You you have to watch every single penny. And you guys raise your own animals too. I mean, that that that's 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 probably not a cost savings though. That's probably a luxury. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? It's well, in in some ways, it is because once we spent the money initially on the genetics, they they just keep going. Like for example, our mangalitsa boar was seventeen hundred dollars. That's the guy that's fertilizing to make yeah. more. Okay, that's very expensive. Okay, um, it, you know, you get a couple of quote unquote generations, and that, but then we got to get a different one. Um, but so we we do save some money on the genetic side of it, um, but. Ultimately, it's probably a bit of a wash. Okay, you know, uh, price price point wise, 
in some ways, we do save a lot of money just because we save on genetics. Um, but the, the pigs also eat all of the, the food scrap, pre-consumer food scrap out of our, out of our restaurant. Uh, the pigs now eat the spent grain from Urban Rest Brewing, which is across the street from us. Yeah, we had Zach on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so so we have a we have like a full circle of product rotation between the two of us, and like nice and good for the environment too. Yeah, for so, sure. All right, so you say pre scrap, so all the trimmings when you're like preparing food. Yep. Can they not eat post scrap? No, they cannot. Um, Who says that? Well, nobody specifically, but the it's the. The pigs are anatomically very close to humans, so yeah. so sickness can be passed back and ah. forth, like Mister Swine Flu over here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. um, yeah, it's interesting. Tragedy, man. really. <laughs> it really was. You're a plot device. That's what it is. It is. Didn't feel like it at the time, but. <laughs> no, that it makes is. sense. Okay, I totally get it. Because you're not going to be like, "Hey, do you, is anyone sick here?" Okay, we're not. We're not going to. Yeah, right, I get it. So, Mulefoot opened what year? Uh, 2013 in in Emily City. City. Yep. Now, uh, you guys do the 20 percent service fee. Have you been doing it all all along? No, we started doing it last summer. I think. Okay. Yeah, it's been it's been a interesting response. A good amount of people are are pumped about it. Uh, I think the majority of people, but we actually have quite a lot of backlash on that. Do people want to give more? Or, or, or I, I think people don't want to be forced into giving 20%, even though for me, and maybe it's because I'm a restaurant guy, but like I'm very commonly tipping 30%. Mm-hmm. So 20% and then being told that I can't tip on top of that, or that's what it says. You yeah. shouldn't tip on top of that. People do, and it's... Whatever. Appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, but 20% is a savings for me. I, I, I don't understand why, why there's been so much backlash, but I think people just don't want to be forced into it. Well, I, I know Americans. with, with uh, like, we ship at the bakery, we ship nationwide, mm-hmm. and people get really angry about shipping charges. Mm-hmm. But if I build it into the price, no one knows any better. And it, it's a strange thing. prime. Right, I know, right? So it's like you say there's twenty percent service fee. If you raise your prices by twenty percent, yeah, but you still got to say it because then people are going to tip on top of that, and then all of a sudden I, they're just like, I, I get it in a circle. But it's this weird thing with like in in, in like your consumer and your guest head. It's like if you're, I'm paying twenty percent more, it's like ah, eh, no big deal, right? And, and like the thing, so it's never going to um, happen. No, because I, you have too many restaurants that do that to save costs. So they're not the labor costs aren't as high. It's it's an amazing thing though. I mean, these the the teammates in in the Mulefoot have got tremendous raises for that. I mean, it's not uncommon for. I mean, our our kitchen staff probably on average makes somewhere between like seventeen and twenty dollars an hour. Um, so uh, it's a substantial substantial improvement. Um, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, can we keep talking? So we're, we've almost hit an hour and I want to like go like another hour. Yeah. Part two. Can we keep talking? <laughs> we're getting kicked out. <laughs> hey, if no one shows up, you guys can keep going. So oh, all right. I'll Perfect. <laughs> so I'm, fa- is there I'm fascinated by all just this. Yeah. One question about the tipping. Cause it's really fascinating. Me. Is there ever a situation where people, um, feel like it's not just the money, but the service didn't warrant mm-hmm. even that. 
Like you're adding it on, right? And so it's like you're paying the twenty percent. But does that situation ever arise? Um, I I don't believe that that happens. Not not in our restaurant. Um, we're also crazy about level of service. Um, and it, even though you know I'm a kitchen guy, and it kind of pains me to say this sometimes, uh, for us, service is really more important than food. Not by much, you know, you might call it 5149, but services is actually the more important role. Uh, and so we spend a tremendous amount of time uh, talking about service and, you know, educating the, the FOH team on, you know, exactly how we prepare things, exactly what certain ingredients are. And our service staff is, is insane. Very good. And so like, they're, I mean, they're they're the final line between your menu, the, the the so you have the menu, the guest, and then the service, right? So mm-hmm. they have to be able to, you know, present your mission in a way that that makes sense to the to the guest, right? And how they're I guess, the salespeople. They are the one pitching the timeshare to the Joe Hakeem to, to fractional to, fractional mm, ownership. Fractional ownership. Fractional. Ownership. So if they do a crappy job, <laughs> Joe won't buy the timeshare. Yeah. Exactly. So and and also like I, I know that you saw the the article in Eater today about mm-hmm. the price point of the mule foot. It averaged somewhere like you know high forties to fifty dollars per person. That becomes a serious ripoff if the if the service is not sure, good. Sure, sure, sure. You know, even even if the food is made with the best quality products, uh, you know, if the, if it's not served right. That you know, you're going to crash and burn fast mm-hmm. that way. And so, talk about Imlay City for a minute because I feel like it, it's so far off the beaten path. Like it's up Van Dyke Highway, correct? Yeah. It's, um. So, so like it's a sm- small town. Very small. I think uh, thirty five hundred people or something. Wow. Yeah, it's tiny. Uh, well, it's about sixty miles north of here, and it's like purely agricultural. Um, and so we decided to, to put the restaurant there for really, really two reasons. One, because that's where we're from. Um, and we already had a building there, so it was pretty easy access for us to start. Uh, of course we didn't have any money, so we put a lot of sweat equity in, but also Emily city, that's where the farms are, you know? So we wanted to put the restaurant close to the farms. And I think Michigan is the number two agricultural producer in the United States next to California. And I think that Lapeer County is like the fourth agricultural producer in Michigan. So you could say that Lapeer County is probably one of the top agricultural counties maybe in America. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's a great place to put the put a restaurant. And so the response – back uh when you opened was it like immediately hell like, no you guys are insane you, you're <laughs> never gonna do this it's like you can't you can't open a restaurant here you know the best thing you got in town is like you know mediocre at best and this is just like a a way different experience weird menu items you know n- only michigan craft beers at the bar only high-end liquor um there's nothing that's there's nothing that's like bottom shelf at all in the restaurant. And so it goes against everything that you would think would be in Emily city. 
Um, but there's also nothing to benchmark what Emily City wants, you know, and the same goes for people buying food in a retail setting. You know, there's not a Whole Foods in Emily City, so you can't see everybody going to find organic food. Uh, but, you know, there are tons of people who live in Emily City who are driving here to Metro Detroit to to buy groceries because that's what they want. Wow. So what is the balance between kind of locals and I guess people from outside of a 25 mile radius. It's uh, very skewed. Um, okay. Probably, probably 80% or more of our guests drive an hour Whoa. or more wow. to get to the restaurant. Okay, so you are a destination. Yeah. We, for a while, and this is a small percentage, but for a while, 5% of our overall guests drove all the way from Ann Arbor, which is like pretty close to an hour and a half in one direction. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of people at the end of the week, 5%. Sure. So the, the Eater article today um, talked about the, the concept of Mulefoot in Imlay City changing mm-hmm. to more of like a tavern style. Sure. Right. And then you're going to, to migrate the Mulefoot concept yep. closer we're, to Detroit? Yep. We're going to bring the Mulefoot down here at some point. Uh, when or where exactly, we're not sure. Um, but in the meantime, the mule foot is going to be changing to Hiram's Tavern. And, uh, basically the change is this. When's that date? Uh, it's in like 50 days. Okay. So if you uh, wanted th- to get mule foot, you could go do it. Short time. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's like around April 1st, but I'll have to double check. Um, basically the, the food standards are staying exactly the same. Uh, everything is still going to be locally sourced. Everything is still going to be made by hand. Um, but the service will be a little bit faster. So you can expect to be out and, you know, if you got 45 minutes, you can expect expect to get in and get out at that time uh, rather than the current hour and a half or so. Uh, currently, the menu is set up to be three courses. Um, it's, you don't have to do it that way, but we, we tell everybody this is designed as a three course menu. So 99% of people have three courses. Um, that's going away. Everything's going to be a la carte. There's going to be more casual options. Uh, like we have a burger on the menu right now. It's the only sandwich. There's going to be a few sandwiches on the new menu. There's going to be a few additional salads on the new menu. Um, you're probably not going to see quite as many kind of high end cuts, uh, so for the last several months, we've been selling a lot of Wagyu ribeye. Uh, that's probably not going to be available, but what you might find in replacement is like a kick-ass Wagyu clod steak. Another one of those things that nobody knows about uh, also comes from the chuck and it's a third of the price of the ribeye. So you can buy in our store right now, I think for like $13 a pound. It's legit Wagyu and it's amazing. You can buy it at Farm Field Table. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's it, it's great. And it cooks the same way. It it cooks the same way. But here here's the thing about eating that I think a lot of people don't consider. You got to take a look at the mechanics of actually eating. So you can buy a cut that is like 70% as tender as a ribeye and if you cut it thinly across the grain, it's easy for your teeth to separate. It has a tenderness about it and it's purely about the way that you cut it. So there, there are actually, there are ways to make your food better. You just have to understand what exactly are the the qualities of what you're cooking, 
um, and what do you intend on doing with it? You got to understand what was the function of that muscle for the animal while it was alive. And those things all factor into, you know, how do I prepare this the best way? And here's, here's the, the number one thing, get a goddamn thermometer for real, for real. All these, all these high end chefs out there with their effing cake testers, putting it on their lip and shit. Come on, come on. Like th- get a good thermometer. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. And you cannot screw it up if you know the temperature. So we don't, we don't even allow our cooks to do the poke test. The, the number of steaks that we get sent back is amazingly low. And it's because I don't trust you. I trust that $135 <laughs> thermometer in your hand. It's simple. But the vast majority of chefs are going to tell you they can cook from sight, right? Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. But you could do, you could still kind of like see it and then double check it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, still, I think in the restaurant game, a lot of it is. They all have their like, sleeve that have their, you know, their Sharpie and yep. their thermometer. Yep. A lot of it in the restaurant game is like you get used to the rhythm of it. I mean, you could, you know, you're making 25 things at one time and it's like sometimes almost instinctively, oh, the steak's done. Mm-hmm. You know, when you pull it off, it's like spot on. It's it's like built into you from from doing it so often. Uh, there was a guy named Sayer that I worked with at Ocean Prime, and this guy cooked an unreasonable amount of steaks, and he did all of it by feel and sight, and he almost never screwed it up. That guy, that guy was that guy was worth seventy five grand a year. The amount of steaks that he did not screw up is amazing. Is that what he got paid? No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I hope. I, I hope, hope so too. Yeah. He doesn't work there anymore, so probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I've sent back enough steaks that I know people aren't testing. The, the amount of steaks that co- come to a table that are uh, – From very good places. Th- that you say, you know, you order something mid-rare and, and it comes to the table what medium well. Or raw. Or like – Well, raw, raw, raw I'll deal with. And here's <laughs> like, an, like, here's yeah. another thing I don't forgive. Give the freaking thing a rest. Yeah. Mm. When, like my steak should not have a pile of liquid under it. it, it that's unforgivable. Yeah. All you got to do is let it sit there for five minutes. Like it's ridiculous. And that, and that affects the way that it looks too. But, but that also goes into American dining culture where people have this idea that ticket time should be, you know, so you mentioned mule foot as it is now is a two hour or more dining experience, mm-hmm. which some people are, are, you know, and you said, Oh, well now with the the new concept, it'll be 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Two hours doesn't seem like an unreasonable amount of time to dine with to go out to dinner, right? So if it well, is it unreasonable, if you're driving if you're driving an hour and a half, you want the full. That's experience. what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> if you're local, maybe that forty five minutes is more palatable. But either either way, if you're going out to dinner and you're annoyed that you're sitting with you know next to someone for an hour. Who the hell are you sitting next to? Right, right. Uh, well, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, not me, right? <laughs> if it's not, we're assuming it's not me. <laughs> but I mean, this is the issue, right? So, like, two hours seems like if you're going out with someone, you know, even if you're by yourself, mm-hmm. if you're having an incredible experience, even if you're having a mediocre experience and the food's decent, like, you'll you'll persevere. Mm-hmm. We have quite a few people who come by themselves, honestly. 
Uh, they they become we have like super tight regulars at the restaurant, and sometimes they come in, uh, you know, four o'clock when we open, and they literally stay till ten. They just groupies like yeah. We go out with them afterwards. Sometimes people go on vacation with them. Like they're they're like now like restaurant wow. family. Whoa, yeah. We we have a lot of that <laughs> actually. Plot twist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> No, we we do a thing up there called Pub Club, or we did. I, I'm not sure if we're going to continue doing it. Uh, we're going to continue it in some fashion, but Pub Club was uh, was an eight week long class, and so it was one hour every Wednesday for eight weeks, and it covered everything from simple knife cuts to you know sauce making, soup making, whole animal butchery. Like it was a pretty comprehensive course for pay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it was maybe like $300. Okay. For for all eight classes. For, for extensive. Yeah. yeah, and in the class you also uh have dinner and have a drink. Um but anyways, like most of those people they're like they're like very very regular at the restaurant. It's one of the, it's one of the greatest things we ever did. That's great. But you and I think a lot of it's education. You know, you talk about um, learning the different cuts, things like that. If people knew some of that that background, it would be much easier for them to say, oh my gosh, a hanger steak. This takes, you know, you only get one of these out of an animal. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, education is, I think, the biggest component of it. So, is the, you have the pub club. Is there a goal at, um, at Farm Field Table to teach like a how to eat class or something like that or how to... We, we started monthly classes last okay. month. Um, so we we did a whole hog butchery class. Um, it maxes out at twelve people. Um, so so that was sold out. And uh, in the class, they actually took the meat home. So so you're buying like half a pig? Yeah, uh, we we did a whole pig. And so it was. It was one hundred and seventy five dollars per person. It's a deal. And each That's a deal. And each person yeah. went home with like. 18 pounds of meat or 20 pounds Jeez, of meat. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And so this next class uh, in March uh, is. No, the date. March 3rd. <laughs> Just like, can I buy a ticket right now? <laughs> it's, this one's sold out, unfortunately, oh. <laughs> but you can get in on the April class. Uh, so this one's a four quarter of beef. And same thing, they're taking the whole thing home. Uh, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Four, so you're saying you're breaking up the four four primals? Yeah. So the basically the front half, which is uh, Chuck. Brisket, shank, rib, and the short plate, okay. which is where the short ribs come from. And front sc- half, front quarter, front the front, the front quarter. Okay, yeah, front half of a half, half of yeah, right. Yep. And so the next class we're doing a um, hind quarter. Probably the one after that we'll do lamb and goat, uh, and then from there we'll we'll probably do like fresh sausage making class that might include like curing bacon and then uh, uh, we'll do like a whole muscle charcuterie type air dried class and possum and possum. <laughs> yep. yep. Then, then we'll do strictly unusual rodents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see where it goes from there. Uh, my, my twin brother, Mike is a, is a phenomenal teacher and speaker. He's very animated and he's, he's, a lunatic, honestly, um, but he he loves doing that type of stuff. So we probably will bring on some type of actual cooking classes. But the problem is that we don't have any cooking equipment 
there. So we might have to borrow somebody else's kitchen or I don't know. We'll have to figure something out there. And then currently in Ferndale, you share a space with provisions. Yes. Talk about provisions for a second. These guys are amazing. So uh, Will and Zach are provisions, Ferndale. Um, What they do is uh, super, super, super good cheese and bean to bar chocolate. Uh, and they have and the most Instagrammable like charcuterie plates in all of Detroit. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and what's what's really cool about them is that they offer every single thing they have for tastes. Yeah. So so it they have probably seventy different types of chocolate, and you can taste all of them before you choose one. And same with same with the cheese. And uh, the way it's set up is cool. So when I was in for Christmas, getting my Christmas meat thing <laughs> and you like wait in line for the meat and the cheese guy's right there he's like hey you want a sample and i ended up buying like three hunks of cheese because i'm you know a sucker and i'm right there <laughs> waiting for the meat it was he great could, he could yeah. tell you're a mark oh yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it really is amazing because yeah. they do a hell of a job servicing people even for our stuff with a smile yeah they're and like yeah they're like oh man that merguez i had it last night and it was made with like I don't know, sous vide this and, you know, they're like recommending things to to our customers about our products. Mm-hmm. I do that also for them. I don't know if the other people at, at, in the shop do that, but it, it's amazing. Those guys are great. Yeah. Uh, so the, the shop, uh, you guys have been there, but is about, it's under 500 square feet. It's like as big as it's this room. It's very small. <laughs> uh, and so I, I kind of jokingly tell people you could kind of close your eyes spin around in 12 circles and just reach your hand out and grab something and 100% it's going to be amazing. Yeah. There there's nothing bad in the entire shop. And then charcuterie wise, you guys do you guys plan to team up with them to do charcuterie? Yeah, we're part of part we of our relays, right? What's that? Relays, roulette. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, roulette. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so Riet. we make those things semi-often and it's always rotating you know what's in the case is just kind of generally what's available for us so uh it's it's not your local grocery store where you can buy ribeyes 24 7 um and the people who come often know that and so typically they Mm pre-order uh and stuff like bacon so bacon is for me one of the coolest things that we make because it's so simple smoked Smoke. You're smoking yep. it. Okay. Uh, so it, we actually spend 16 days minimum making each piece of bacon, um, and so it's it's real. It's very simple. Very high quality pork, salt, sugar, pepper, real wood smoke, and a lot of time. Salt, salt, normal salt. Uh, sea salt. Okay. Sea salt. Uh, Not pink salt. That's what I'm kind of getting at. W- you know what? That's a that we could do a whole hour debate on that okay. specifically All or right. food additives. I think um, next time. Yeah. We, <laughs> part two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we use it. Um, it does wonders for keeping away oxidation. Okay. Um, I think it also tastes good, and I think that there's there's a lot of bullshit marketing that happens around food. And the reality is that pound for pound, the nitrates added, well, nitrites added in bacon is less than it would be for potatoes and spinach. Hmm. So 
there's a lot of discussion that needs to be needs to happen around that. We do sometimes make uh, nitrite free uh, bacon. Uh, right now, we're we're doing a paleo box where it's sugar free bacon. Um, me, I'm like, if you if you if you have a problem eating bacon, just eat less of it. But I want I want the real deal. I want full fat. I want it to have the sugar. I want it to have the nitrites. Mm-hmm. I think those are critical factors. Sure. Matt, where can people find uh, – so this paleo box, where can people f- order that? Uh, www.farmfieldtable.com. Uh, keep in mind when you go there, keeping our inventory up to date is a total shit show. <laughs> so f- honestly, if you're looking for something you don't see it online, call us at the shop. Uh, we can tell you exactly what we have, uh, and it can ship to you. If you're in the state of Michigan, next day UPS – it's uh, very cost effective, um, and for those of us who are pretty lazy and don't want to drive to a store, it's a great option. What's the phone number? Two four eight five zero nine eight five five six. You guys are. If you go visit the store and you feel like you're in the middle of an industrial warehouse, you're, you're in the right, in spot. The right yeah. spot. Yeah, they're right across the street from <laughs> Urban Rest Brewing. Yeah. So Get go a drink. go yeah. south on Walcott. Take the first left from Woodward Heights. But you, you guys ship anywhere in the state of Michigan? Do you ship outside of the state of Michigan? We do. We don't. We don't push it. Okay. Uh, we prefer to keep everything in the state of Michigan uh, as it is right now. But we can ship elsewhere. We've shipped to. We've shipped a lot to Florida. I don't know if it's like snowbirds going from here to there. A lot of Michiganders. We, go yeah, to Florida, we so we just know. ship a lot to Florida. Okay. Uh, we've shipped to Kansas City and a couple other states, but mostly Michigan. They don't have a lot of butchers in Kansas City, so. So uh, farmfieldtable.com, the restaurant can be found where? Uh, www.themulefoot.com. Themulefoot.com for the time being, and then it's going to change soon enough. And then Mulefoot will move. Uh, Best of luck to you, Matt. Thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Until next time, dine well, friends.